0: I want you to picture a scene for a moment. Two parents and a young boy walk into a diner and sit at a table. The waitress comes over, and she begins to take their order. order. The mom orders, and the dad orders, and she looks at the little boy and says, What will you have? And he says, I'd really like a hot dog. Mom and dad immediately jump in. Oh, no, no, no. You are not having a hot dog. Hot dogs are no good. There's nothing in them that's worth eating. No no hot dog. But the waitress doesn't listen to the parents. She continues to look at the little boy and says, and what would you like on your hot dog? And he smiles again. He says, ketchup. I'd like lots of ketchup. And a glass of milk, please. And the waitress responds, coming right up. And she walks away from the table. The little boy is overjoyed and he looks at his parents and he says to them, You know what, mom and dad? She thinks I'm real. Reality, real. You know, we are real. God made us that way. We are not puppets, we are not actors in a play. We are real people. We can order hot dogs. And they'll be brought to us with all the consequences that go with something that may not be good for us. We can do those things whenever we want. We're real people. And you know, the greatest downside to our reality and the choices that we make, we heard today in that lesson from Genesis. Because in our realness, as we were created, we said no. You know, there we are. We are created by the hands and the breath of God. We are placed in a beautiful garden. We walked and we talked and we were in an intimate fellowship with the Almighty God and everything was good as God said. And there was only one requirement for us that there can only be one God and it isn't us. And you know the story. Then we were tempted tempted to doubt God's love, tempted to doubt his greater wisdom, tempted to doubt his plans for us. And we made a real choice. And it had real consequences. And it did real damage. And the word that we hear in Scripture is a real curse. Now maybe today as we hear that sometimes I think we think we are so far removed from those events in Genesis because they're outside of recorded history and time that a lot of times we cannot fully grasp the impact of that curse upon us. A lot of times I think we just dismiss it because we think, well, that's the Christian view of how the world began and we don't think that it really has far-reaching effects, but the truth is that curse does have far-reaching effects. As we are in our series Joy to the World and we look at verse 3 today, the words are, as we opened, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Reality. Reality is that we are cursed. And I want to spend a few minutes talking about that curse, talking about that reality in our lives and see its evidence once again. You know, Jesus was asked one time what the greatest commandment was. And he responded that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And I want to take that phrase of heart, mind, soul, and strength, strength meaning our body, and use that in interchange with that word. Because I think that really encompasses fully our reality of all of us, of who we are. So the first thing I want to look at is how the curse affects our heart. And see this on the screen, Matthew 15, this is what Jesus said. But the things that come out of a person's mouth... Come from the heart and defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. The reality is the curse affects our heart. We hate and we lust and we desire and we lie and we gossip. And the proof and the evidence is that every time one of those things comes out of us, we show just how affected we are by that curse. Our heart is affected. What about our soul? Matthew 16 says this, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The curse has affected our soul. It was the immortal part of us that was destined to be immortally alive. But because of the curse, we are immortally dead. We have an eternity of death before us, not an eternity of life. The curse has affected our soul. What about our mind? Romans 8 says this, who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The curse has affected our mind, our thoughts. You see, we conceive of evil in our minds. Things that, evidence that are our desire to gain control, to have power, to preserve ourselves over anything else that we will never concede to any authority being over us, and that we are in submission. And we are so damaged in our minds from the curse that we make God's laws wrong, and we substitute them for our fantasies and make them right. Fantasies like addiction and pornography and violence and whatever horror we can conceive of in this world and have since time began. That's the curse and how it affects our minds. Well, what about our strength in our body? James 2 says this, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. The curse has affected our body. It is a body of death. Name any disease that you can think of that has ever occurred in the world. It comes from this curse in our body. Our aging, our infirmities, whatever it is, it comes from the curse in our bodies because the curse has affected our DNA. We have inherited it from Adam and Eve. First Corinthians 15 says this, For as in Adam, all die. You see, that's how the curse has affected us. And the evidence that we are affected, that our DNA is affected, that that curse is upon us, is the evidence of death. Death in the womb, death at one day, old death at one year, old death at 14, at 20, at 30, at 40, to whatever extent we have, our DNA is death. And every suffering that we see in the world, every injustice, every pain, every oppression, every disaster, is because of the curse. And the greatest injustice that we do in this, in our lives, is that we blame God for what happens to us. But it's our curse. We brought it on ourselves because in our reality we said no. We want to be God. We want to be in control. The curse is found everywhere. You know, that would be a horrible place to stop, wouldn't it? To let you go home just thinking about the curse. But the verse says, He comes to make His blessings flow. Yes, our DNA is cursed. So how can we change our DNA? And you might laugh and say, well, we can't. That's an impossibility. And I love that word, impossible, because the word impossible appears in the Christmas narrative. We find it when Mary says, how can this be? And the angel replies, nothing is impossible with God. We find it in Jesus' ministry when his disciples ask him, well, then who can be saved And Jesus says, with God all things are possible. For us it is impossible to change our DNA. Only God can do that. Only God can bring forward Jesus who is fully man and fully God. And in his humanness have a new DNA that is not Adam's DNA. But is DNA born from God? Only God then can give us that new DNA through the waters of our baptism where we are born again. We are born of the second Adam. As in Adam all die, so in Christ are all made alive. He comes to make his blessings flow. His blessings affect our reality, our whole being, our heart, mind, soul, and strength. How does it affect our heart? Ezekiel 36 says this, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Our DNA being made new. Our soul, Matthew 11, says this. Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Our mind, Philippians 4, says this. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And our body... Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. He comes to make his blessings flow. But you know what the problem is in our world? As we say that, that he comes to make his blessings flow. A world is a fix-it world. It expects results when we say something. So when we say that statement that Jesus came into the world to bring blessing, to bring forgiveness, to bring hope and life to all people, that word, blessing to the world, must be tangible. There's the expectation in the world that when we say that, that there's a claim and that a change must happen because that's the way the world works. And if death isn't gone and sorrow still exists and disease is still there and they're all there, then the world says to us, what you say about your king and your savior coming, that's a scam. It's a lie. Because everything is still the same. You know, why do I say that? Because I watched it evidenced this week from Hollywood. Oh, yeah always with their agenda, always with their attitude. One of our favorite shows, and I wouldn't recommend it because there's a lot of sketchy parts in it, is The Good Doctor. And if you didn't see the last episode and you DVR'd it, I'm sorry, I'm going to ruin the plot for you. But it was their Christmas episode. It starts out with a deadly virus that comes in and affects the ER room. So deadly that within hours of contracting it, people are dying right and left. And so the ER is quarantined. Along with that is another person who has leukemia that needs bone marrow transplant from his father, but his father went to the ER room and is now quarantined that, and he's not going to get the bone marrow transplant, and he dies because of that. Along with that is another guy who came in with a stomach issue and it turns out his intestine has burst. He's dying from peritonitis and they're trying to save him. Along with that is the former chief of staff whose brain cancer has reappeared and now he's devastated. And the main character, the good doctor, who is an autistic doctor, is having a meltdown from his autism because of some sound. And they're showing a montage of all these things, all these horrors going on. And behind that, they're playing Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. And I said to Sarah, you know what? They're not playing that because they're believing it. They're playing that out of sarcasm because there's nothing going on in those scenes that has to do with heavenly peace. You see, the world looks at it and says, we are fools to believe that he came to make his blessings flow. Everything's still the same. And all we see is evidence of disaster. And what I would say to that person is a quote by Martin Luther that says this. This life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness. It is not health, but healing. It is not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. All does not yet gleam in glory, but all is being purified. He comes to make his blessings flow. We heard it in the Gospel, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. In the midst of the curse, far as the curse is found, Jesus comes to make his blessings flow. They flow to you and me. They flow from his word. They flow from his gifts to us, his body and blood. They sustain us in this life until we enter the next. His blessings flow on us every day that we live and move and have our being in him. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Amen.